invite you to take your copy of God's Word now and turn to Acts 15. Uh, um, I correspond with a... Uh, I pray for some different pastors on Sunday, and I'll text them, let them know I'm praying for them, and we sometimes correspond back and forth um, uh, on text early on Sunday mornings about what we're preaching, those kind of things, and a friend of mine um, let me know that they're doing a series in Luke, and they're doing Luke 5, Ty, and the title of his message is, Because You Say So, I Will. Did you catch that? And I just texted back and, and told him, boy, I want that to be the cry of my heart all the time. Lord, because you say so, I will. And that's all we need. What a, what, a, what a great message there. And that just stood out to me again this morning, Ty, as you read Luke 5. Because you say so, I will. And because he said so, that we should be about his word and about the, the preaching and teaching of his word, we will this morning, okay? We will look at his word. We will uh, try to understand uh, by his grace what it says. So we are in Acts 15 in, in our continued series and... Um, this series we're calling Missio Dei, the, the, uh, the Mission of God, which we find in the book of Acts. And we're going to be covering, <clears throat> Lord willing, this morning, chapter 15, verses 1 through 35 uh, of Acts 15. I heard a... Yeah, it's a... All right. You'll see why we're going to be able to do this. This will be quite an accomplishment because uh, kind of the last half is in some ways a repeat of some other things that they've already talked about um, and explains what was going to happen. It did happen, so you'll understand that. But the title of this message this morning is Saved Through the Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ or Saved by Grace Apart from Works. Saved by Grace Apart from Works. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him again to help us as we work through this. Lord, uh, we... Thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of it. Lord, we thank you for the clarity of the mission that you have called us to as those who have been changed by your grace through Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, we pray that now as we look into your word that you would open our hearts and our minds and teach us, change us, um, so that we might honor you in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have any of you all ever heard of a guy named, named Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Aeolite? You may have heard of Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Aeolite. You may have heard of him? Oh, well, you're going to hear about him this morning, okay? Just briefly. This is one of my favorite guys in all of Scripture. Uh, he was one of King David's mighty men listed in 2 Samuel 23. There's a whole list of these mighty men who, who, who fought for David, fought for the cause of God uh, in the nation of Israel. And we read about him in verses 9 and 10 specifically about our guy Eleazar. So look here with me. And this is after him, meaning another guy. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Aeohite. You guys thought I was making that up, didn't you? That's his name. Look at that. One of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there to battle and the men of Israel had withdrawn. He, meaning Eleazar, arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to strip the slain. I love this account of Eleazar. I mean, he was, he, he was so committed. The, the, the thought about fighting for God and fighting for David and the honor of God's name and the honor of God's people was so important to him that his hand froze to the sword. Now, I'm sure that some medical people could tell me the condition and why that happened. But I'm telling you, it had to do with his heart. That's why it happened. It was so important to him, the honor of God's name and fighting for David, that his hand froze to the sword. He couldn't let it go. And he took on all these Philistines and wiped them out. Let me ask this question to you this morning. Is there something in your life that this is it's that important? There's something in your life that's this important to you. Important enough that you're willing to battle for it to the very end. It's, it, it, and, and many of you are probably thinking, okay, some people in my family. I can think about it. if you're a husband, hey, I'd battle and I'd, my hand would freeze the, four, the sword figuratively for my wife and my children. And I would say that's commendable. That should be your attitude and your heart. You should be, uh, that's be so important to you that you would be willing to do anything to protect them. But in our passage this morning, we'll discover what was so important to Paul and Barnabas and others that they went to great lengths to see that it was protected. 
Uh, what was it that they saw that was so important? What was so important to them that they would do anything to protect it? What was it that would cause uh, them to figuratively, not physically, but figuratively cling to the sword and go down fighting? What was it? Well, it was this truth. Salvation by grace apart from works. They were committed to this. This was so important to them that their hand figuratively did freeze to the sword. They would not go down. They would have fought, fought to the death for this truth. This is the message of the entire Bible. It's essential to the gospel being the gospel. Understand this. The gospel means good news. There's no good news without grace. No good news without grace. The word grace in, in the Greek, maybe we, we hear it more often nowadays because people like to name their daughters the Greek word for grace, and it's the word charis. Anybody ever met a little girl named Karis? There's a lot of them running around. I don't know what it was. Maybe they go through the baby book and what's the top ten and that kind of thing. It's probably a top ten girl's name now. Karis. It's the word grace. It means gift. And that's what makes the gospel such good news. It's a gift. We don't work for it. We do not work for them. And we'll talk about this all the way through this this morning because that's what this passage is about. Is that truth, salvation by grace apart from works, is that truth worth battling over so much that your life figuratively freezes or clings to the sword and you can't let go? Well, if you've been saved by God's grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, it should be. That should be. The, the cry of our heart, the, 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 the most important thing in our life is this truth. So let's turn our attention here to Acts 15 and, and observe Paul and Barnabas and others cling to the sword of salvation by grace apart from works. And I'm going to walk down through this long passage here, 35 verses this morning, and uh, po explain it, point out some different things, and at the end we'll come back and we'll look at some practical ways that we can apply the truths that we'll see here this morning. I was going to ask um, Joshua to preach this morning since yesterday when we were working on his car we had a little, a, a little uh, rest uh, because we needed a, another part to, to get it done and so he and I started talking about Acts 15 and what I was going to be preaching on and then I, at, at the end of that talking through that I said okay well how do you apply those things and boom he hit all of them so I thought I'd let him preach he declined this morning so you get me again sorry. But let's again just be reminded of the context here before we dive into chapter 15. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, okay, ascended to the right hand of the throne of God, he left this command, this mission for the church with the disciples who were gathered there in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now we've gone through the part of Acts where he's, they've been in Ju Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the circle's getting bigger. Now we're at that part where they're getting the gospel. They're being witnesses to the good news of Jesus Christ to the remotest parts of the earth. That's where we are. And this is the outline of the book of Acts, as I keep reminding you, Acts, Acts 1.8. Paul and Barnabas have just returned to Antioch of Syria from the first missionary journey. Okay? We, we, we've looked at that the last few weeks. They were on this missionary journey taking the gospel to all these cities. And they've returned. And, they, and, and, and they've, they're reporting what's going on. And we, we find out um, what they report, or we, we find out that they are reporting these things to the uh, Christians there in Antioch of Syria. And if you look there if, at the end of chapter 4 in your copy of God's, ch chapter 14, I'm sorry, copy of God's Word, verses 27 and 28, we find this. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. So Paul and Barnabas returned from watching God open the hearts of all these Gentiles. Amazing things happened as we went on that missionary journey with Paul. We saw God do amazing things in these Gentile lands. Uh, Gentiles being those who aren't Jewish. Um, and now look at what happens in chapter 15, verse 1, as Paul and Barnabas are helping these followers of Jesus grow in, in Antioch. Look what happens. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now let me first uh, say here that um, if you're thinking geographically, 
Antioch is to the north, it's on the north side, Antioch is to the north side of the land of Israel and obviously north of Judea and Jerusalem. It says that they came down from Judea. You think, well, they got their geography messed up. <laughs> well, it doesn't have anything to do with geography, it's typology, all right, or topography. It's Judea was on a hill. Jerusalem on a hill. And when it speaks of when you came down from Jerusalem or came down from Judea, it's not talking about north, south, east, or west. It's talking about coming down in altitude. All right? So just so you know that, you're thinking, oh, there's a mistake in the Bible. No, there's not. You won't find one. And when you find one, I'll eat the page. All right? I've said that before, and I promise you, there's not a mistake in the Bible. So, what, so you see these guys, and, and, and these guys come in. What in the world is happening? I mean, things are going great with the Gentiles and they're coming to know Jesus and they're growing in a relationship with him. And then these guys show up from Judea, most likely Jerusalem, as we'll find out later. And they say that the Gentiles are not saved because they haven't been circumcised. I mean, what is going on? <coughs> things are going great. Well, if you've been studying, if you remember through the book of Acts, it seems like every time something goes great, something quote-unquote bad happens. There, there's opposition is what happens. And that, here again, we have opposition. And later in the chapter, we're going to see that, that it seems that these men came and they said this. Hey, we were sent by the apostles in Jerusalem. They sent us down here to straighten you guys out. And here it is. You Gentiles, if you want to become a Christian, if you want to be saved, it's a word we use a lot, means rescued from God's discipline on your sin or God's just, justice on your sin, all right, then first you have to become a Jew, and be circumcised, then you become a Christian. And that's straight from the apostles in Jerusalem. We've been there. Later on, we're going to find out that they weren't sent. But they, they came acting as if they were sent from the apostles. So it's like they had some authority. I mean, Peter's back there, James, all these guys. We, 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 and we got that authority. That's what they're, that's what they're trying to, to portray to the people in Antioch. And they're saying you've got, to become a, you've got to become a Jew first before you can become a Christian. So was this a big deal? Was this what they were doing a big deal? Well, let's see if it was a big deal to Paul and Barnabas in verse 2. Look what they say. And look what happens. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. It was a huge deal. Look at those words, great dissension. Some of your translations will say, no small dissension, sharp dispute, serious argument. Or, or, and then the next word, debate or dispute. I mean, there, there's a heated discussion going on. I don't think that Paul said, well, you know, that's a great, great thing to talk about. Well, let's, let's sit down and have a discussion about this. This is a really minor issue, and let's do this in love and never, never get excited about anything, and we're just going to talk through this. No way. This was serious. The words used here, that this is a dispute. There's a serious argument going on. There's an, a bomb that went off at the church of Antioch. And as I read from one commentator, I really like what he said. Um, a guy named S. Lewis Johnson, who preached a long time at a church up in Dallas and was a professor at Dallas he was a Theological Seminary for some time, he said, and so, you know what? A bomb would be go, good to go off in some churches today because it would at least maybe clean out everything. All right? And, then, and I'll tell you what, a bomb went off. Here because they what they were teaching was wrong. World War II was breaking out of the church at Antioch, and Paul and Barnabas' hands were clinging to the sword. It was stuck to this sword. They were never going to let go of this sword. This was not some secondary issue. This was not some preference issue. What are preference issues? Style of music. I know some of you all think that's a principle. It's a preference. Okay? It's a preference. There's no, no principle there. It's a preference. And we, we begin all of a sudden, the, the, the preferences become principles. This was, not a princi this was not a preference. This was a principle. This was the heart of the gospel. And they knew it. Let me ask you all a very important question. If someone was teaching here at Grace that a person had to perform certain works, certain acts, obey certain things to become a Christian, i.e., they have to be baptized. They have to, they have to dress a certain way. They have to give a certain amount of money. Would you call them out and disagree? Would we have a bomb go off at Grace Bible Church? You, amen. And we ought to be saying, yes! And you should do it publicly. This is not a minor issue. This is, not, this is the difference between heaven and hell. This is, this is not a preference. 
You know, you've got your first, second, third tier. This is the top of the first tier. And somebody better say something. And I know somebody would in this church. And, and hopefully, we would never ever have anybody stand up here and teach that. Um, but I'm, I'm just asked, that's what happened. Somebody stood up in the church of Antioch and taught that. And Paul and Barnabas had none of it. Their hand clung to the sore. It was so important. Since this issue is at the heart of the gospel and critical to the fulfillment of the mission of the church, the church of Antioch decides to send Paul and Barnabas and some other uh, delegation to Jerusalem to consult with the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So look what happens in verse 3. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. This is awesome. On their way to Jerusalem to discuss the, the gospel, they keep telling other people about what God's doing. They're just on their way. And they're so focused on the mission that God had given them, it was a part of their life. I mean, what they were going to Jerusalem for was very important. But there was a lot of people on the way. They wanted to tell what God had been doing among the Gentiles. And if you notice, he, they do it in Phoenicia and Samaria. And they, they, these places were full of Hellenistic Jews. A Hellenistic Jew was a Greek-speaking Jew. And the Hebraic Jews, those who were born in Jerusalem and around there, who spoke Hebrew, they, they kind of thought themselves a little bit better than the Greek-speaking Jews. All right? And they also, there's Samaritans. And the Jews really thought the Samaritans were bad. They were half-breeds. During the captivity time, these were Jewish people who married Gentiles. So they were half-Jew, half-Gentiles. So the, 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 Hellenist, the Hellenists and the Samaritans would be a little more understanding about the Gentiles coming. They wouldn't have a problem with it at all. You bet. It's for everyone, even us. Not just for the people who had a bloodline they could trace back to Abraham purely. It's for all of us. And, and no one told us we had to become a pure Jew before we become a Christian. So they, didn't, they, didn't, they were never brought up. They just rejoiced that God was doing a work in the, among the Gentiles. So, so um, look, look at verse four, 4 and 5 now. Let's pick back up here. When they arrive at Jerusalem, so they go through, and it says the, the, the land of Phoenicia and Samaria. And then in verse 4, when they arrive at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. Verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up, saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Now notice that when they got to Jerusalem, they reported all that God had done with them. This should point out something huge. Who had done? God had done. You see, salvation is not a work of man. It's a work of God. And this, 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 even this right here, um, without just coming right out and saying it, shows that salvation is by grace apart from works. It's God's work. It's grace. It's a gift. It's something that God has done and does with people. And, and, and they, 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 they talk about what God had done among the Gentiles. Yet, as they're telling of this amazing grace of God working the Gentiles, verse 5 says, but. But. There's a contrast. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up, saying, it's necessary to, necessary, necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Now, let me just say this. Godly people on, um, about this, godly scholars even, disagreed as to who these Pharisees were, who this group of um, men were. Some say they were false believers who were the ones who sent the group to Antioch teaching salvation by works of the law. That's what some people say. And you can see that's a good possibility. Others say they were truly believers. They had trusted in, in Jesus' payment for their sin alone. They, had, they, were, they were saved by grace. They believed that with all their heart. But were concerned that the Gentiles needed to still keep the law of Moses after coming to faith in Christ. That they needed some kind of guide. All right? And they need to hook themselves up to the law so that they would do the things that would please God. All right? One commentator, I think, explains this, this view well. They, speaking of the Pharisees who believed, did not argue that circumcision was necessary for salvation, but that believers were still obligated to keep the law. To them, circumcision and keeping the law were not a means of salvation, but obedience required after salvation. Okay? So some people's view is believe that. They believe that since they were believers... So the text says they were Pharisees. 
that were believers, people who, guys who served in, um, in, in important religious, a religious uh, office as a Jew, but they had come to know that Jesus was the Messiah. They had placed their faith in the, the gift of God in Jesus, that their sins would be forgiven. They didn't think they did a work to get that. And yet they still believe that they should abide by the law of Moses and anybody who, anybody who came uh, to faith in Christ should do the same. That's what they believed. All right, so after studying this passage myself in more depth and the context and those, those kind of things, I lean uh, toward the conclusion that they were believers, but very immature and wrong in their conclusion that people were required to keep the law after salvation, which will become evident when we, we, we see the decision that the apostles and elders make later on in chapter 15. So regardless, it doesn't change the meaning, okay, of this passage. So just know wherever you land on that, it doesn't change the main point of this passage. At any rate, let's see what happens next beginning in verse 6. We'll read down through verse 11. The apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. Well, in the midst of this discussion and debate, Peter cannot take it any longer. Now, if you know much about Peter, Peter was always the person who spoke first and thought second. All right. He had a foot-shaped, foot-shaped mouth, some people say. He was always putting his foot in his mouth. And, and Peter's matured a little bit here. And, but but there, you knew if Peter was there, he was going to have to say something. Because he always had to say something. So he can't take it any longer. He just has to say something. And I'm glad he did. Because what he says is not, put your foot in your mouth. What he says is true. Because he had walked with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He knew the truth. So in verses 7 and 8, he reminds them that God had called him to take the gospel of the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were made right with God. They were saved, it says, cleansing their hearts by faith. I love that. Cleanse their hearts by faith. By faith, obviously, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and, 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 and by God's grace, that gift in Jesus. Just like we were, he said. It was just like us. And here, what is Peter referring to here? He's referring back to earlier in Acts when we saw that God called him to go to a guy's house named Cornelius. And he was a Gentile. And Peter said, no way. I'm not going to a Gentile's house. That's unclean. And God gives him this dream and God lets down this sheet of pork chops. All right. And he tells Peter, this godly, orthodox Jew, eat up. We got some fried pork chops. We got grilled pork chops. We got slices of pork. We got pork loin. We got bacon. Eat up, Peter. Lord, no way. My lips have never tasted anything unclean. He says, what I've called clean, let no one call unclean. Then he wakes up. He says, go to Cornelius. And it was, it was a picture for him to say, I'm calling the Gentiles clean. They can know me just like you can. I mean, I'm getting chills just thinking about that. This is the same Peter. And Peter is recalling that. God sent me to the Gentiles, and I saw what he did. And after he, he gave them new birth and he cleansed their hearts by faith, he also performed the signs that he performed for us on Pentecost. They began to speak in other languages that they had never trained before. Bizon, I began to speak in French all of a sudden, out of nowhere. I mean, that'd be a miracle, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's right, all right? Yeah, Bizon speaks French. So they speak in the Ivory Coast. And it'd be like me doing that. And that's what happened. It was a sign of God confirming that he was moving in the hearts of the Gentiles just like he did the Jews on the day of Pentecost. Now, we're going to talk more about tongues and those kind of things and this speaking in different languages. Again, known languages. All right, known languages in the world. That's what happened uh, for the purpose of condemnation of the Jews. I'll just say that. And also proclamation of the gospel. That was the purpose of tongues. But he does this and he's just saying, but it was the same one. And God made no distinction with the Gentiles and the Jews. It was the same. It was the same gospel. Peter then says, why would we ask the Gentiles to keep a law 
neither we or our ancestors could ever keep. Why would we do that? Well, we hang that on the Gentiles. We couldn't do it. And we were the Jews and we were the ones that God gave the law. Oh, listen, 613 laws of the Mosaic law. I mean, who can remember those? We have a hard time with 10. Right? The 10 commandments were a summary of the 613 laws. He said, why would we do that? What are we thinking? This is not grace. This is not salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not do that to them. It was never to be a means by which a person was made right with God. The law was never given. And this is how you're made right with God. This is how you'll be cleansed. Your heart will be cleansed. Never. The purpose of the law was to show us our sin and need for a Savior. It was to show us that we couldn't keep make God's standard. So we would go, oh no, God, help. I need someone to save me from your just condemnation on my sin because I'm guilty. That's what it was meant to do. So we would look to him. And when we do, we find that he has a Savior. His name is Jesus, who died for our sin so we could meet God's standard of perfection. That's the purpose of the law. If you want to look that up, Romans 3.20, Romans 5.20, Galatians 3.24. They all say that super clear, even more clear than I just said it. Romans 3.20, Romans 5.20, Galatians 3.24. That's just three for you. But let's go on. Verse 11 says, Peter says, but we, here's, here's this, this is the, 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 the pinnacle of this passage. This, this teaching here in verse 11 is the pinnacle of the Bible. It's the foundation of all that's taught in the Bible. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. That it's a gift. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. We're saved because of a gift. And Peter says, we're all saved the same way. It's, it's through, by, through or by grace of the Lord Jesus. Just like them and us, it's all the same. Paul sums this up in a verse that many of us have heard before, but if not, uh, if you have, you're going to be reminded of it. If not, this is a great verse to sum up um, what Peter has just said. This is Paul writing the church of Ephesus, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Salvation is not of yourselves, is what it's saying. It is the gift of God. It's the word grace, right there. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Because here's the deal. If we do one work, if we can do one good thing that would make God accept us, Guess what happens when we stand before God one day? Well, you know, God, did you see me help that old lady across the street? Pretty impressive, wasn't it? The cars were buzzing by and I got her over. And we would find some way to brag about what we did. I mean, did you see me step down in the waters of baptism, Lord? I mean, I just kind of slid down. It was smooth. I mean, we would, we would find some way to brag about what we did to make it look better than it was. Now, we should be baptized, God calls us to. But that's not, the, that's not the means of our salvation. That's to show that we have been saved, right? Lord, did you, did you see me give so sacrificially in the church? I mean, can you, I mean, I gave way more than that other guy. He's got like a Lexus and a BMW, and I got the Chevy. I mean, we would find a way to brag about our work, whatever it might be, so that no one will boast. That's what it says. We will not boast because it wasn't what we did, it's what he did. And I've said this many times before. This is, I'll give you my spelling and my math today. All right, here's my spelling. Christianity, all right, versus all other world religions. All other world religions spell it like this, D-O. It's what we do. But Christianity spells it this, D-O-N-E. It's what he's done. That's the gospel. We're saved by grace, not by our works. And the, and the math equation is this. Jesus plus something equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It equals salvation. And that's what this is teaching. And this is the heart of the gospel. This is why it's such good news. It's always been and will always be the case. Salvation by grace apart from works. Now what Peter had to say was so powerful. Look what happens in verse 12. All the people kept silent. I mean, what can you say to that? What can you say? To, can you say, oh, Peter, you're wrong. Sorry. That's like way off. And they, they kept silent. And then, then it's like Barnabas and Paul said, okay, here's our chance. We can now come back up and say, look at what all God did. And nobody's going to say anything. Nobody's going to argue with Peter. 
Right? So they get up, and sure enough, they, they're relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Now look what happens in, in beginning in verse 13. We'll read down through verse 18. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon, and this, or Simon, it's, it's the Hebrew word for Peter, okay? And you, the context helps us understand who he's referring to. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, make, makes these things known from long ago. James... All right, here's James pops up. Who's James? James was Jesus' half-brother. Why do we say half-brother? Same dad, different... Uh, same, sorry, sorry, same mom, different dad. Sorry. Woo! Heresy! Somebody cry that out, all right? <laughs> same mom, different dad, all right? He had Joseph as his father, and Jesus had the father as his father. God the father. But half-brother, um, and he didn't become a believer. He, he was saying, Jesus is crazy. His whole life, my brother has flipped out. There's something wrong with him. He's got a Messiah complex to the most. All right? But what happened? When Jesus rose again, he appeared to James. And James was like, whoa. He really was who he said he was. And James became one of the most faithful followers of Jesus we have. He also wrote the book of James. Go read the book of James. I mean, did he know Jesus? You bet he did. And he just lays things out just beautifully in the book of James. But... He's the guy. He's the leader of the council. He's the leader of this summit they've called together in Jerusalem. And now he's going to weigh in. First, he refers to and affirms what Peter or Simeon, which is his Jewish name, had said about the Gentiles being made right with God. He says, you guys heard what he said? I'm with that. And then he points to the fact that the prophets agree with Peter in verse 15. The prophets agree with what Peter had to say. So if you don't think Peter was right, let's go to the prophets. Let's go to the Old Testament and see what they had to say. And sure enough, they agree. So it says in verse 15, with this words, with this, the words of prophets agree, just as is written. And then it goes on to give a summary quote from Amos, Jeremiah, and Isaiah. It's a combination, mostly Amos, that points to the fact that the Gentiles have always been a part of God's plan to save a people from all over the world. Always. Always been a part of God's plan. It's not something new. This is something old. And this huge influx of Gentiles is just a fulfillment of what God told us would happen. That you all would run off. The temple would be destroyed. You'd forget God, talking about the Jewish nation. And God would lovingly call you back, bring you back to the land. And when the Messiah came, there would be this influx of Gentiles into the church, into God's people. Now, now, just notice, too, there's not a mention that these Gentiles in the Old Testament would first have to become Jews before they could become a Christian, before they become saved. There's not a mention of that. He doesn't say anything about that, and it doesn't say anything about that in the Old Testament. Now, look at verses 19 through 21 with me. Therefore, it is my judgment, James speaking here, that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but we, that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient time, uh, from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So James makes a decision as to what should be done concerning this issue with the Gentiles. This whole thing, should they become a Jew first? Should they become circumcised? Of course, he said no way a bunch of times. Everybody else has too. So he says that they should not trouble them all right, and here he's speaking, don't trouble them with a false teaching and be made right with God by being circumcised and keeping the law of Moses. Don't trouble them with that. They are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. He then lists, he provides a list of things that they would do well to avoid. Okay, now look, look what he says. Abstain from things contaminated by idols. This was a big deal to Jewish believers who Paul would later deal with later in 1 Corinthians. They had a real problem with eating things that had been sacrificed to false gods. That was pagan. And even though these were Jewish people who came to believe in Jesus by faith, all right, by His grace through faith, 
right? They still in their conscience struggled with eating that kind of... They've never eaten that kind of stuff. It, it, it would not be honoring to God. That's what they believed. All right? Next, it says from fornication. Obviously, this is speaking about sexual sin. Anything outside of a one-man, one-woman relationship of marriage. All right? Sexual sin was closely linked to pagan worship. All right? Third, thirdly, and kind of they're really together, from what is strangled and from blood. It's really three and four together. These two things had to do with the dietary laws. And they were things that no, no, no Jewish believers, uh, that, that, that these Jewish believers had grown up with. That's all they'd known was that dietary law. And not to eat pork. Not to eat dead animals. Not to eat things with blood in it. They ate everything well done. There was no blood in it. And that was what they knew. And this was to honor God. And they believed that. And even as believers, they, they struggled with these new freedoms that God had given them. And many of them couldn't take those new freedoms because their conscience wouldn't allow them. It would dishonor God. And we learn later, Paul writes in Romans and Corinthians, then don't do it. If your conscience won't allow you to do it, don't, that's okay. Don't do it then. If you think it's sin, then don't do it. It probably is sin because your heart's not right. All right? So just stay away from it. All right? So why would James give these instructions to the Gentile believers? To stay away from those things. We say, hey, you need to hook yourself up to the law if you want to grow in grace. That's not what he's saying. Don't miss this. The answer is found in verse 21. Oh, look at that with me again. For Moses, this is right after he tells me these things. For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him since he is, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Notice that word for. Okay, it's a Greek word. means It's a three-letter word in Greek too. Gar. All right? And it means because. He's going to give the reason why he just gave those things for them to abstain from, that he would suggest be wise for them to abstain from. And the reason is, Moses from ancient generations has in every city those preach him since he has read in the synagogues every day. Well, what, what reason is that? What, what's that mean? He's asking them, all right, to do these things for the benefit of having fellowship with their Jewish brothers and sisters who they would be worshiping with where? In the synagogues, if there was a synagogue in their city. Because that's where the believers continued to worship, was in the synagogues. And Moses, meaning the Old Testament, and especially the first five books of the Old Testament, was still read. It was truth. It taught salvation by grace in Moses. Right? And it would be read. And you're going to be spending time with these Jewish brothers and sisters. And you need to, even though these are not things you're under law, these things are things they still struggle with. And they think it's dishonoring to God to do these things. So as a believer, Gentiles, yes, you're not saved by the works. You're not saved by circumcision. You're not saved by keeping the law. All right? But these are things that these people grew up with. And you'd be wise to maybe refrain from those things because you love your brother. Also, there'll be some non-believing Jews in there. And it'll make it a lot easier for you to reach out and share the gospel that Jesus was the Messiah and that we're saved by grace through Jesus Christ if you would refrain from these things. It won't be a stumbling block to your brothers or the, and sisters nor the non-believers. Um, I love one commentator says this very well. He says, James was not putting Gentile converts under the Mosaic law by imposing these restrictions. He was urging them to limit their exercise of Christian liberty to make their witness to unsaved Jews more effective and their fellowship with saved Jews more harmonious. You guys see that? That's what's going on here. He was asking them to live out Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But through humility of mind, regard one another as more important yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. He was asking them to live this principle out. To put your Jewish brothers and sisters who have a weak conscience, as Paul would call it later, put them before yourself. Don't abuse your freedom that you have. Do you have freedom to eat these things? Do you have freedom to, to do these things? Obviously not fornication, but these other things that, that were, were, were forbidden by the law. You, you have freedom to do those things now, yes. But if you're going to use your freedom at the cost of your brother and sister in Christ or the cost of evangelizing or telling people about Jesus, that heard, then don't do them. That's what he was asking them to do. I, I just... just um, We'll come back to that later at the end for us to think about how we can put this into practice. Now look with me at what happens beginning in verse 22. And then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, Judas called Barsabbas 
and Silas leading men among the brethren. Um, and then verse 23, And they sent this letter by them, the apostles and the brethren, who are elders, to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, who are from the, the Gentiles' greetings. So everyone's on board with James' decision. They, 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 you can't get away from this. This is what's always been taught. Salvation by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they send these two guys with, all right, um, Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch. And this letter would go to Syria and Cilicia. It would go out further into other churches as well. And Judas, called Barsabbas, this is a, it's a Hebrew name. He was, he, he was a Hebraic Jew. He was a pure-blood pure Jew. Let's put it that way, all right? The other guy is Silas. That's a Greek name. He was a Hellenistic Jew. So you send a pure-blood Jew and a Hellenistic Jew back with these two guys. There's reasons for that. Let's look, all right? There's no way that, that, that they could say Paul and Barnabas didn't come back with the whole truth. These other two guys are going to witness of it, and they're not going to be biased. They come from different backgrounds. Right? So look at verse 24. Since we have heard that some of our number, to whom we have, this is part of the letter, we have no instruction, have, who gave no instruction, have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls. They just undercut, undercut all the authority these guys who were in Antioch preaching heresy had. Oops. <laughs> we said we came from them. We, ooh, we didn't. I'm sure they about hit the door about that time. All right? They didn't. They just they said, we heard these guys said they came from us. They didn't come from us. Not at all. All right, let's read down verses 25 through 35 now. Um, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives, this is part of the letter, for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you would do well. Farewell. So, when they went, so they were sent away. They went down to Antioch, and having gathered a congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of his encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. Amen. After they had spent the time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. You see, it was final the eternal truth was still true and affirmed like it always had been. So all this letter does is they say what they had agreed on. That's why I said it would go quick because they didn't say anything different than what we already saw here. That they sent the letter and the people rejoiced. Why they rejoice? Because what they had been told was true. It confirmed it was all true. Salvation by grace apart from works. Praise God, this gospel is just as good as we thought it was. And, and then... Um, Paul and Barnabas continue to stay there and preach and teach um, at this point in Antioch to help them grow so they could protect themselves from other people coming in talking about how you're saved by works how you earn God's favor well so what what about this whole thing I mean I think there's already been some stuff in here you can go wow I can apply that boy that's speaking right to me I know right where I can put that into action this week but if not I'll help you out a little bit okay here we go first of all Never compromise in the essential nature of salvation by grace apart from works. Cling to the sword. It's not good news. See, this, it's interesting. This, this whole thing, this, this discussion in Jerusalem 15, uh, Jerusalem, Acts 15 about this council in Jerusalem happens. Paul writes a whole letter about this to the churches of Galatia, which he visited on his first missionary journey. It's all about this issue of it being saved by grace apart from works. Because what happened, and maybe these guys from Antioch, they went north and went west a little bit, and they went and visited the church of Galatia. And they began to sprinkle this heresy, this false doctrine in those churches that Paul, Paul had, uh, had gone and ministered to and started churches and preached the true gospel. And Paul has to write a letter back to them because he found out that some guys like this had showed up. And now the people in Galatia are starting to doubt. Well, maybe it is by grace and works. Maybe it's by work, so we're not really sure. So Paul writes this. But because Paul clung to the sword. He clung to the sword by, the, by salvation, by grace, apart from works. And we need to 
cling to the sword. Never compromise. It's the heart of the gospel. And like I said before, without it, there is no gospel. There's no good news. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. If it's by works, all right, which works are they? Which ones? If you can tell me, that'd be a pretty good start. Still won't be right, right. But I don't think you can tell me. And nobody can tell me. Which works is it? If it's all 613, Paul said, and he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he was a Pharisee, he was trained at the highest level in the school of Gamaliel. He, he said he didn't even keep them all. And James says if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. Hold on, how can you be guilty of one? If you break one, you're guilty of all. It's like this. It's a chain with links. Okay? What happens if a, a link, one link breaks in that chain? What do we say about the chain? It's what? Broken. The whole chain is broken. It's no good. Same it was in the law. So which ones? Guys, it's about grace. If, it's, if, it's, if, if we contribute a work of merit, all right, we earn it, it's no longer of grace at all. Paul would say later, if it's of works, it's no longer of grace. They don't go together. Now, I will say this. Later in Ephesians 2.10, he says, all right, not only says we're saved by grace, he says, but we are his workmanship created in God, in Christ Jesus for good works. If we've been saved by grace, good works are a natural thing that comes out. But they don't earn or merit good works, our salvation. Secondly, know that God's word is always taught, has always taught salvation by grace apart from works. It's eternal truth that will never change the Old and the New Testaments. So, here's the cross, all right? The cross is sitting right here. There's the cross, all right? Here's the people before the cross. All the Old Testament people. How were those people made right with God? The cross. All their sins were forgiven at the cross. And they, by God's grace, placed their faith in what Jesus, the Messiah, would do later. That he would pay for their sin. They're all saved just like we are. So, how about this? We're on the other side of the cross. How about all these people, all right, on this side of the cross, after the cross, how are they made right with God? How are they saved? Right there. Same place. Same way. It's always been that way. If anybody tells you it's different than the Old Testament, they've never read the Old Testament. They don't understand. It's all by God's grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's always been this way. It will never change. Thirdly, Live with a selfless attitude because of salvation by grace apart from works. Yes, we have freedom in Christ. We do. These Gentiles that they wrote to, they had freedom in Christ. They, they, did, they could have eaten whatever they wanted to. I mean, bring me out the rare steaks. They could have eaten it like that. But if they would have done that in front of their Jewish brothers who had a weak conscience, were still struggling with this because of their upbringing, if they would have done that, that would have been awful. That would not have been loving at all, would it? They would put themselves first. It would have hurt the church. It would have hurt the fellowship. And we may, have, we may have had worse division we have in the church right now. We may have had a Jewish church and a Gentile church. And that was never what God intended. All one in Christ is what he intended. But if that would have been their attitude, that's what have happened. There would have been division all over the place. So what's that look like today? I'll just throw it out. It's the pink elephant in the room. How about alcohol? Here we go. All right? Are we free to drink alcohol as Christians? Is there any place in the Bible that says you can't drink alcohol? No. There's no place in the Bible that says you can't drink alcohol. But let me ask you this question. If you know that a brother and sister in Christ was a former alcoholic and they show up for dinner and you break out a six-pack or a keg or whatever else you might drink, is there a problem with that? You bet. Well, I got freedom in Christ. Don't tell me I can't drink in front of them. Ooh, I, got, I see who's got the problem now. It's not them. They may have a weak conscience, and we need to pray that they grow in that. And they can. And now, the other side of it, if you're the person that has that and you've got the weak conscience in that area, doesn't mean you're a weak brother and you don't, you're not as strong in your faith. But in that area, you're weak. You can't say, well, you can't get that out. The Bible says don't get that out because I've got a weak conscience. Well, you got the problem. You see what I'm saying? Because both of them are what? Selfish, not selfless. Okay, I'll just tell you this, you know, so you know where your pastor stands. Probably I know where your pastor stands. I don't drink at all any alcohol for this whole purpose. Not because I think it's sin that I would drink alcohol. But I don't want to cause my brother to stumble. I don't, I don't really know who comes from a background of alcoholism and who struggles with that. I don't always know that. So I just decide, you know what? 
When in doubt, leave it out. I chose to leave it out of my life for that reason. Also for the non-believer. Because in our society, most people, not all people, that drink alcohol, they get drunk. Does the Bible have something to say about that? You bet. That's a sin all over the Bible. Huge problems with drunkenness. And that's a sin. So I don't want someone to think, you say, well, that, that, they need to grow up. Well, no, you need to grow up if that's your thought. But I'm not saying if you drink, you need to be discreet about it. You need to use your freedom wisely. And, and, and just, it, I'm just going to do a little pet peeve here. I'm a believer and I'm a member of the beer drinking society and I'm going to post it all over social media and let everybody know I got freedom in Christ. <laughs> don't do that. If you're in here doing that, I, I'm not talking about you because I don't know anybody here is doing that. All right? I do know people that are doing that. Don't do that. That is abusing your freedom in Christ. If you have a freedom, enjoy your freedom, but do it with others in mind, not yourself. And see, we get it all backward. And I could go a whole list of these things. I better stop right now. I may not make it out the door this morning, all right? But, but there's lots of things we could add in there, couldn't we? All right? And vice versa. If you're weak in a certain area, and that, that area you say that for you is that sin, don't put that, if it's not clear in Scripture, on somebody else. You've got to wear a coat and tie to church if you really want to be holy. I left my tie off this morning just for that. All right? All right. Where does it say that? That's a preference. Don't put your preferences as principles on people. And, and vice versa. Alright? Let, let's live with selfless attitude because of, because of salvation by grace apart from works. Put others before yourself in every situation and trust God with it. Then it's beautiful. The gospel's beautiful. Salvation by grace apart from works. That is the good news. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the clarity of your word. Lord, thank you for this council that happened many, many years ago in, in Acts 15 in Jerusalem that would deal with the heart of the truth that you sent Jesus to proclaim, to remind them that you had always taught this, that you've been teaching this from eternity. Lord, remind us to hold on to that truth regardless of anything else because it is the heart of the gospel. Lord, Lord may we know that it's always been taught that way. And Lord, may we exercise our freedoms that we have now as Christians um, wisely, selflessly, putting others and putting your glory and your mission for the church first and then allow us, Lord, to in wisdom enjoy the freedoms that you've given us. Lord, it's, it says in your word, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. And Lord, the greatest freedom that we have is to know that we are forgiven. We are made right with you by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.